The Charles Adler Show starts now. Now, we've got a fellow podcaster coming on, not just a fellow podcaster, but a Substacker. If you don't know what Substack is, we're, we're about to tell you. But um, he is a, someone who is based in Ottawa, but doesn't speak Ottawa. And you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when we bring him on. Evan Scrimshaw, thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome to the Charles Adler Podcast. Thanks for having me, man been a fan of yours for a long time so this is uh quite the honor for me well i appreciate it now you tell me what i'm talking about when i say evan may be based in ottawa but he doesn't really speak ottawa what is what does that mean to you so i am a massive nerd and i have when i was a, a high schooler i would literally skip school to go watch the house of commons and occasionally the supreme court of canada and so i understand ottawa and i can speak official ottawa but (laughs) the problem is when you can speak official ottawa and when you went to school at you ottawa and when you worked on the hill for a year you forget that like normal people don't understand and so a lot of the coverage of canadian politics speaks a language that people do not understand and so as i've launched my Substack. The goal has always been to write and to talk about Canadian politics in a way that I would have this conversation with friends over a drink, over a beer, and to speak sort of not just truth to power, but but speak truth in a way that people will connect with. And the the greatest compliment people pay me is they would recognize a Scrimshaw article even if they didn't see the byline, because my my writing style is such that you know when you're reading it because you know that there are not a lot of people who are speaking the same. They may be saying the same words. They're not speaking the same language as me. So I want to I read from uh, your latest the Substack just because explanation is wonderful, but there's nothing like illustration. So let me illustrate what our, our guest, our friend Evan Scrimshaw, is saying. This is from his latest Substack, and I realize some people don't know what a Substack is. We'll talk about that in a moment, but here's here's how he writes, and I think everyone listening to this will know that this is not typical Ottawa. This is not when you're watching those um, news shows coming out of Ottawa. This is not how the host or the guests speak. So Evan Scrimshaw and his latest podcast, I'd be crazy not to follow where you lead. That's a, that's a quote. Why has Pierre Polyev never said on camera that he supports gay marriage. Never said it on camera. In English, I could be wrong, writes Scrimshaw, but Polyev voted against gay marriage in 2005. And the only source I've ever found where he said that vote was wrong was in French. A 2020 La Presse article, La Presse is the uh, number one English uh, language uh, broadsheet in in Montreal, although it's not much of a broadsheet anymore. It's, it's, it's only online, but they're doing very well. Anyway, La Presse is very influential in, 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 in Quebec. And uh, Scrimshaw writes that the Pierre Polyev in the La Presse article, Pierre Polyev calls gay marriage a great success, says it in French. When he was thinking about running for the Tory leadership, and he thought his lane was to Andrew Shears' left. Now, this is the leadership contest Polyev chose not to run in, but when he was uh, thinking about running in the one that Scheer won, uh, now that he has been moving to the right, he has refused, as far as I can tell, to give the denial he gave to La Presse in English and on camera. 
Uh, we could go further, but I think the point is everyone understands that the reason it's very, very easy for me to lift this off the screen is because Evan speaks the way I speak. Evan speaks the way conversationalists speak. It's like, you know, having a, a beer with someone or you're, you're, you're at a restaurant. And what we always try to do with, with all of these uh, shows is we, we try uh, to, as much as possible, give you the conversation that's taking place in the booth. You're in one or two booths over and you're, 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 you're craning your neck uh, to hear what uh, the two people on the podcast are saying. At least that's, that's the effect that I try to have. It was exactly the same radio. Uh, we want to speak conversationally. We don't want to speak Ottawa. Uh, Evan, let's get into uh, what you said in the Substack. Why is it important that Pierre Polyev doesn't say in English what he says in French? That's a, just a, a general question. Why is it important that he's, uh, he's, he's espousing different principles in the two languages, and then specifically we can get into the business of same-sex marriage? But why is it a problem, do you think, uh, that he says one thing in French and another thing in English? It's a it's a it's a problem when you're refusing to to say the same thing in both languages because it shows that you do not actually care about issues as a matter of principle. You only care about them as a matter of expediency. We saw this back in the day with Tom Mulcair in 2015 when he refused to say that he would let Quebec uh, Quebec separatists break up the country with 50 percent plus one of the vote, uh, ignoring the Clarity Act and the secession reference because. Mulcair refused to say it in English because he knew that that would be a deeply unpopular position amongst Anglo left-wingers, but he knew he had to say that in French. Otherwise, the uh, voters who had voted for Duceppe for all those years but then voted for Jack would, would, would leave. And the problem for Polyev is the base of voters he's trying to appeal to is very disconnected, right? He's trying to break through in Quebec, a place that is more socially liberal certainly about certain issues, abortion and gay marriage, um, than the rest of the, uh, than specifically the West. But he also is trying to avoid a problem on his Max Bernier PPC right. And so he's trying to sort of maintain the strategic ambiguity where he winks and nods to the fact that, no, I'm not a crazy person. Like, if you live in Mississauga or you live in... Um, you know, Twitter Riviera, yeah, you can vote conservative. Don't worry, I'm not crazy. But in Portage or in, uh, you know, insert random, you know, Fort Mac or whatever, uh, no, no, don't worry. I'm, I'm not some, like, woke Central Canadian elite. No, no, I'm one of you. But the problem is, like, it strategic ambiguity might make sense, but it doesn't work because at some point Google Translate exists and people can find what he said in French, which was the thing that, that undid Mulcair in 2015, was Trudeau said. So, okay, do you want to repeat what you said in English, what you said in French and English? And at some point, Polyev will be tripped up by it. We just don't know when. It doesn't make sense to me. On the one hand, uh, the Polyev crew counts so much on digital media. It is, it, is, it is the god that they worship. On the other hand, they ought to know that people in Mississauga and Trois-Rivières can access digital media and can find out in a heartbeat uh, that they're uh, talking about somebody who's speaking from, you know, both sides of his mouth. And, and that is exactly what most people really, really resent about politicians. But going beyond that, 
he's trying to portray himself as a person of the people, of the common people, that's just not something that that, that common people appreciate. Uh, some of the people who are, uh, let's just call them uh, members of the chattering classes, not the common people, they sort of fluff that off as, well, that's uh, all politicians do that. But, but just regular salt-of-the-earth people feel that, they're getting snake oil when, when someone is speaking out of both sides of their mouth, uh, different uh, principles and different languages. Let's uh, let's focus, if we can, on uh, on T-shirt week uh, for Pierre Polyev and uh, Danielle Smith at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you focused on in your Substack, because I, I thought your your take was uh, not just uh, incisive as it always is. But it, it, it gets this conversation to a much more important level. I think most people in the country, in my opinion, have, have trivialized the issue. Tell us why it matters. So I, I don't really care about the shirt itself, right? I don't really, whatever, he took a photo. You know, I've seen politicians in rope lines or in these situations before in person. Like, you're just kind of standing there. People are being ushered your way. You just kind of, you, you, you pause, you shake the hand, whatever, you move on. You know, I've 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 seen Trudeau do it at, at various liberal events over the years. He just stands there for an hour and a half. He's robotic and he just smiles and move on. That I don't really care about. What I care about is the fact that there's a reason why this guy thinks that Pierre Polyev is the leader he should be following. Right? There's a reason why somebody who has such an offensive and like insane belief, right? that straight pride is the thing we need to be paying attention to, that you know, you should thank a straight person for your existence. Like it's it's nonsense, and there's a reason why Polyev wants that person to want him, right? There's a reason why the conservatives dropped a leaflet in the recent Portugalisker by-election, whose message was uh, that they included a photo of Max Bernier marching in Pride uh, and and you know part of the LGBT Tory stuff because for a segment of their of the right base. That the PBC are threatening, home, like active homophobia is politically winning again. And a lot of the discourse is like, is Pierre Poly of homophobic? I don't like that's not that's not interesting to me. I don't care what's in his heart. I care about the fact that Polyev is playing an intentional political strategy, which is to wink and a nod to his right flank that, no, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm not one of those people. I'm not soft, I'm not weak, I'm not woke. But, you know, to LaPresse, you know, it's I, I, I oppose gay marriage and he'll say it in French, but he won't say it in English. It's this strategic ambiguity that he's trying to do. But the problem is that it's, I mean, it's horrifically offensive, this idea that if you actually believe in gay rights as a principle that you won't say it because you are worried about the political retribution. But the to, to the point you made about, you know, digital media exists. That 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 flyer that twenty years ago no one outside of Portage would have ever seen, right? Well, that's probably going to be a liberal TV ad, whatever the next election is. Um, the T-shirt's going to be in a liberal ad at some point, right? And that's the problem. Polyev is going to have is that it used to be that you could play different media differently, right? You could go to a local newspaper and get a quote that was very different in. Even in Edmonton versus Calgary, you could you could say different things and it could play because you wouldn't you wouldn't know that he was saying two things in two different places. Now we do because the internet exists. 
And the problem for Polyev is he's trying to he's trying to wink and a nod to everybody, but everyone else sees both those things. And hypocrisy, lying, and distrust are the reasons that conservatives don't get elected in this country. Stephen Harper lost the 2004 election because of because of backbench MP and Ralph Klein said stupid things. And people were like, actually, do I trust this political party? Hmm, I'm not so sure about that. And if the, you know, sort of questions about trust are coming not from Cheryl Gallant, but are actually coming from the leader himself, that's not going to end well for the conservatives. Evan, there are, are people in all movements, uh, but we're, we're focused right now on the, on the conservative movement because if the liberals lose the next election, they're not going to be losing it to the NDP. They're not going to be losing it to Max Bernier. They're going to be losing it to Pierre Polyev's conservatives, and that's why we're, we're focused on that. There are people in the conservative movement who honestly don't understand, and I know because I was in the movement for many years, <laughs> they honestly do not understand that when you attack a minority, in this case LGBT, many other minorities feel they're being attacked because many members of minority groups know that people who hate one minority hate all minorities. Why is that so difficult for the strategists in the Conservative Party to figure out? To, to, to me, this has been dropped at obvious for many, many years. There's, there's nothing new about that. Because people who are in the majority do not understand what it is like to be a member of a minority, right? I'm a gay man, so I understand this sort of like like when you hear, especially like like uh, you know racialized Canadians, but even more so racialized Americans, sort of talk about like their interactions with the police. Like it's really difficult to hear, but it's also like 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 I I kind of get it because I understand the concept that I am not sort of inherently at ease in a, in, in a place or in a situation in a way that my straight male friends are. And there is a sort of, sort of sense memory of not, of, of sort of having that doubt that you, that you extend the benefit of to other minorities, right? Which is why, uh, you know, which is why some of the most progressive, socially progressive places in this country are, you know, Brampton and Mississauga, which are, if not majority non-white, pretty damn close to uh, majority non-white, um, because racialized Canadians look at you know gay rights and say we understand what it's like to be, we understand what it's like to not to not have those protections and not have that equality. So we don't want that to happen to somebody else. And the reason the conservatives can't do it is they're in a bubble because the sort of like hardline conservatives are in a bubble where they have convinced themselves that they are more plentiful than they are. Right. Uh, now the like chattering class conservatives, like the ones who are telling us that Josh Ray was going to be the next leader. They're also yeah. in a bubble, but right. the, but the right and certainly the like Jenny Byrne, right. That's currently running conservative party. They're in a bubble that thinks that their movement has essentially just been held back by bad tactics, right? That's why Jenny Byrne went on um, David Hurley's podcast for all of 2021 and acted like Aaron O'Toole should be winning this election. And, you know, he's essentially just bad strategy away from, I'd say away from 24 Sussex. We need we need a official residence so we have a shorthand for, like, 
you know, being in office. Um, but like the problem is that the, that there are not as many movement conservatives as movement conservatives think because the only people they interact with are fellow movement conservatives. Okay. So they're drinking their own bathwater. Uh, right, of course. So Evan, help me out with this. Um, I thought uh, for the last number of years, and even this business of the Pierre Polyev and the, you know, taking the glasses off and the putting the makeup and whatever, so- softening himself. I have thought that the conservatives have started to take seriously the, the gender gap, that, uh, that, that Trudeau is well ahead of them, the liberals are well ahead of them with women. We know that the women vote. We know there are more women than men in the country, more women voters than male voters, because women outlive men. None of this is, is, is difficult. We've known about this for a long time. Do we not know that if there's any group of, of, of people that is more offended by LGBT than specific LGBT people, it's their moms, it's their sisters, it's their female colleagues. I mean, the easiest way to tick off women is to discriminate against and hate on LGBT. Is, is that also something that's new to, to Jenny or anyone else who's strategizing for the Conservative Party of Canada? I mean, it shouldn't be. And the other thing, of course, is that almost every um, like anti-gay rights, anti-LGBT you know LGBT, uh, politician in Canada, they're also pro-life. So those people being back in the news is just bad news for your chance of winning women because they're also going to be inherently distrustful and think that you're coming for, um, coming for women's right to choose. The problem that Canadian conservatives are running into is a similar thing to what, um, Republicans run into sometimes with black voters, which is they get a very like fifth grade, like assessment of what it takes to win them. Right. Like, there's this school of thought every two years that like, oh, the way Republicans get, you know, like breakthrough of black voters is, oh, they just got to like run Herschel Walker and he'll get 25% of the black vote. Well, no, it's not. And it's a very racist white Republican idea that, oh, you just have to run the black football player to win black voters. Like, no, they're smarter than this. And conservatives have, do a similar version of in Canada, right? Which is, oh, we'll put Stephen Harper in the, we'll put Stephen Harper in a sweater vest. Uh, we'll take the glasses off Skippy. Um, you know, we'll, we'll start putting him in like tight fitting t-shirts. Um, and it's like, that's not the reason Pierre Polyev has a, has a problem with female voters. It's that his party is, uh, like culturally right wing. He doesn't do anything to slap down the, like, you know, socially conservative wing of his party. Right. Uh, Lesson Lewis meets with a German Nazi and nothing happens to her, right? That's that's the that's the issue set that's the problem for Polyev, right? That's why he has issues. It's not it's not because he's, you know, not good looking enough or it's not because he wears glasses. It's because they have a policy set, because they can't say anything good about childcare, which is the other thing, right? They finally voted for something for some part of the deal, but Polyev can't go on camera and say, oh yeah. I think that the childcare deals Trudeau assigned are great, which disproportionately help women get back into the workforce and disproportionately make it make sense for you know women to go to work. Um, that's the issue, but they're just playing a, a stupid version of this where it's like, oh no, if we just like make him, if we just if we just take the glasses off and soften him, our, our women problem will go away. No, it won't. 
you have to fix your policies, but they don't want to fix the policies. So they try a stupid end around that won't work. I want to get away from the, the, the t-shirt thing for, for just a few moments and, and ask about the uh, money. Uh, there are people who think that uh, because all of this culture war stuff they're doing, whether, whether it's a t-shirt or anything else, all of it is getting them a lot of clicks, certainly in social media. And many people feel it also translates into money. Uh, you're in Ottawa. You're in the belly of the beast. Uh, how successful are the Poly F conservatives at raising money right now? And how much of the money they're raising has to do with these so-called culture war issues? Um, it, it, it's definitely a, an effective fundraising ticket. I think they raise, like, they 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 raised the liberals by I think four four something million in the first quarter. But the thing the thing in Canada is there is a diminishing return on that money, uh, especially assuming you're not just burning through all of it um, in in between parliaments, because you can only spend. There's a spending limit based on the number of candidates you run. Like you can't the the at some point you literally just raising the money, it doesn't matter. And the other thing is that like mostly in Canada, money impacts haven't really ever shown themselves to be a big deal. Like a lot of people said, Oh, Harper calling the eleven week campaign was going to win him the 2015 election because the uh, conservatives would have so much more money than the liberals and the NDP. And it's like, no, the liberals, when the liberals started pulling better, their donors came around, they were able to fully fund that campaign and they were able to win that campaign um, fairly handily. So it's working for what they wanted to, but I don't think that's going to, I don't think that means it's going to work in terms of actually having an impact on the next election. Now, more with Charles Adler. I want to talk about some other uh, policy issues uh, and uh, specifically what uh, Stephen Harper did uh, recently in Hungary. I was a little surprised that it got as little media attention as it did, uh, even though uh, for us on, on the social media, it got a hell of a lot of attention. I want to get to that. But before we do that, I want to get to the idea of the Substack, which is a very, very important piece of the Evan Scrimshaw brand. I'm convinced that many people still don't know what it is. All of the chattering classes know, of course, the people who participate. But I, I just wonder, without doing an infomercial for Substack, uh, if you can tell me what it is, but more important to me, why is it so important to you as a communicator? First of all, what is Substack? So Substack is essentially just a better version of a newsletter distribution system because it has all the benefits of a newsletter you can put your email in. You will have it delivered to your inbox uh, in the same way that like Politico can get delivered or whatever else. But it also gives individual writers a like web landing page, which can serve as the archive of the site. So it's got the advantages of a newsletter. It also has the, the, the archive there. And it's... Good for me because it, it sort of means that I can focus on writing. I don't have to focus on maintaining a domain or making sure that my website's working. I can just write. And for me, it's the most valuable way to get my to get what I want to get across out. It allows people to meet me at the level that they want to, which is if people want it delivered to their inbox, they can get it. 
if they, you know, just want to check in when they see a link on Twitter or they just want to come, you know, once a week or, or once every couple of weeks and just kind of catch up on what I've been writing, the, the webpage is good. And also, frankly, not that it matters to any reader, it's, it's really easy to use. So I, I, I've always just been a fan of it for that reason. It's, it's simplicity. And that's, that's key for, for people who don't want to have to have a, a, like a, a full tech basis for this as a, and you just want to focus on writing it works well um and you know it has sort of the dual functionality of a newsletter and a, a just sort of traditional website is there a personal connection that's established between the reader and the person publishing the substack and is there a personal relationship there that involves a financial transaction is there a situation where with a certain people on Substack, the reader is actually giving the Substack or a, a few bucks a month. So you can have paid subscriptions. I don't just because I don't need to plainly. Like I, I, I have a, like I have an actual job, and I write for an American uh, sports betting site, so I have plenty of money hanging around. I don't need um, to do it, but for a lot of independent creators it is super valuable that you can just get paid through the app uh, or through them. And, you know, it's, it's valuable for that. I just don't feel the need to charge people. Um, I, as I, as I joke to people sometimes, like if you really want to pay me for my writing, you're free to, you know, DM me for my email credentials, but I like writing. And the thing for me is I, I have all these thoughts in my head and I need to get them out somehow. So, I can either bore all the people in my life with my takes or I can write about it. And somehow there's an audience for my work. So I'd rather write about it. So since uh, you're uh, participating in the, uh, in the sports betting industry in the uh, States uh, specifically, um, give me your sense of whether or not the Montreal Expos, you're wearing their cap. I've uh, got to, you know, disclose that that's very close to my heart because there were some years where I skipped a lot of classes uh, in in high school because I was at uh, the old Jerry Park where the Montreal Expos uh, began, and uh, it was uh, something that became a real passion for me. Um, even when I was in class, I'd have a transistor radio with me, and I'd have the buds in my ear, and I'd be listening to every single game. I do believe that for three years I heard I I, I did listen to just about four hundred Montreal Expos games. So I was beyond just a fan; I was a fanatic for the Expos. So that that cap. I had several versions of that cap, and they were very near and dear to my heart. For people who are listening to the podcast, they don't know what I'm talking about. My apologies. Evan Scrimshaw is, is wearing a, a Montreal Expos cap. So finally, let's get to the question. What are the chances, uh, Mr. Person working for an American sports betting site, what are the chances that the Expos come back to Montreal in the next five to ten years? I think very high, just because... We've seen the NHL expand finally to 32 teams. Uh, and I think that's there's sort of like imminent rumors that the NBA is going to do the same. And if it's, if you go to 32 teams, uh, then it becomes like divisions of, it becomes uh, eight divisions of four make the most sense. And if you expand both, Vegas probably becomes the other team. Because everyone wants a sports team, or no, they're getting the they're getting some. So there's plenty of options for the for the thirty second team, but a division of the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Expos that solves all of the problems that baseball had in the in the nineties and two thousands. 
there's a lot more sort of big money in Montreal that would be predisposed to wanting to own the Expos. And the third thing is, and this is, I think, the bigger thing, is a lot of people have seen what happened when baseball left, and Montreal is, is thriving at this point and is in a much better place now to accept um is in a much better place now to to accept it as opposed to when the city and the province was um you know focused on much different things and there was like the 90s and 2000s were not a good not a particularly good time to be in Quebec now now the constitutional works have been settled the team will the team will do well and like I'm sorry baseball is not going to be able to sustain a situation where like the the where the Rays get 12,000 people or whatever and Montreal, which would easily get thirty five thousand a game, just sits here empty. There's no way it'll it'll come. So with uh, with Vegas, it's the A's, uh, the Oakland A's that'll move to uh, Vegas. Do you suspect a team will move? A team that's not doing well will move to Montreal, or are you talking about a, a brand new franchise, Evan? I think I think expansion. I think I think all four of the major sports leagues are going to thirty two teams. Um, at this point, because we at the NHL have gone there, football is already there, and the rumors out of the NBA are that um, Vegas and Seattle are getting teams in the next like five years. So, if baseball then becomes the only team at thirty, I think they go to thirty-two, and Montreal is very obvious to be the uh, to be one of those two teams. All right, let me uh, get to the the Harper piece first of all. Uh, and I realize, you know, I'll stipulate. Uh, yes, I'm I'm born in Hungary, so maybe this issue is a little near, more dear and near and dear to my heart. Uh, but uh, the idea of uh, Harper standing beside an authoritarian, which is still a euphemism for a dictator, he's not technically a, a dictator because uh, he's won in democratic elections, uh, not once, not twice, but uh, more than twice. He's uh, he's very popular in Hungary, and I'll stipulate that. Viktor Orban is who I'm talking about. He's the one who rewrote the Constitution a number of years ago in Hungary, uh, banning same-sex marriage. He's the one who has uh, stigmatized uh, Muslims. He's stigmatized virtually everyone in media. And now media in Hungary is very similar to media in Russia, uh, basically uh, media that is absolutely faithful to Orban or else media people are in trouble. It goes on and on and on to various uh, groups. Uh, Muslims is, is, is the groups that, uh, that uh, Viktor Orban really goes after he's he's even said that uh, the other countries in Europe like the Germanys the Britons and and the Hollands and and others uh, who have accepted a lot of the Muslim immigration that these countries are not even nations anymore so we're talking about a hard right-wing conservative you've got Stephen Harper standing beside him because Stephen Harper is leading this international organization involving conservative parties from all over the world including the Polyev uh, Conservatives, which used to be known as the Harper Conservatives, and Harper is telling Polyev and all other conservative leaders around the world that they've got to take Orban seriously. They've got to look at him as a role model. They've got to collaborate with him. My question to you, Evan, is why did most media in this country not take that seriously? So... Part of the reason is that it was the week after Canada Day, and I suspect that a lot of people are on vacation. Um, the second part of it, which is not a con- which is not an acceptable situation, but I think that actually is the reason for a lot of it. But the second thing is that um, we have a sort of selective 
interpretation of when we care about what our politicians and our former politicians get involved with. Um, we don't seem to care that Stephen Harper is doing any of this. There's no real reason. Um, you know, it's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly bad for a conservative party to be palling around with, you know, fascist authoritarians, uh, just as it would be incredibly bad if, uh, you know, of John Cartier was palling around with, or Paul care or whoever was palling around with, you know, various, um, like anti-NATO, um, you know, pro-Russia, anti-intervention in Ukraine, uh, you know, helping the Ukrainians, left-wing parties, right? Like, we have to hold our political leadership accountable. And this isn't the first time Harper's met with Victor Orban. It's not, I don't think, the second time he's done it. But for some reason, we've just decided that Harper and, and sort of his still plentiful ties to the Canadian Conservative Party, we just decided that it, for some reason it's not worth covering. And I think that's incredibly dangerous because we've seen in the U.S. with the abortion stuff, right, where Hillary Clinton was saying that whole 2016 campaign, choice is on the ballot, we need to win the Supreme Court. If not, Moreau's going to go. No one cared. Trump wins. He gets the court nominees. Abortion is severely limited in America. For some reason, we don't care about these warning signs until they actually erupt. And part of the reason we don't care is that the media either treats, you know, correct signals of intent as they either don't care, they don't cover it at all, or they just sort of treat it as this, you know, oh, it's fine, it's just what you do, as opposed to it being a legitimately terrifying signal. We don't want Pierre Polyev's Conservative Party to become anything like anything related to Victor Orban's, uh, you know, the way the way he governs Hungary and any anybody who says otherwise needs to be roundly and fully condemned. Just as we, I would say, to any left winger who you know promoted the various left wing cranks, um, because you know crank. You know, cranks exist on all sides of an ideological spectrum, and we need to be willing to call out everybody who fails that. Putting morality aside and just uh, talking uh, pure politics, Orban is the most Islamophobic of European leaders. I mean, he's not covert, he's overt, he's not subtle, he's not nuanced. He is in your face about what he thinks of, of Muslims. He calls them toxic. He calls them poison. He doesn't want them in Hungary. He doesn't want them diluting uh, the white Christian race in Hungary. He he says all of these things. As I say, he's not nuanced. Do, does Polyev, do, does the conservative crew, you mentioned Jenny Byrne earlier, do, do these people not know that, that Muslims in Canada, and specifically Muslims in the 905 area code, the suburbs of Toronto, do, do they think that they won't read do they think that they won't read that the, the, the elder statesman of the Conservative Party is promoting an Islamophobe? Uh, does, does Pierre Polyev not think that this will affect him politically in a part of the country that he absolutely needs? Clearly not, because this is the same person who voted against a fairly benign denunciation of Islamophobia in the aftermath of Canada's most 
um, horrific, explicitly Islamophobic attack, the 2017 Quebec City mosque, mosque shooting. Um, and the thing is, it's pretty clear at this point, for reasons passing understanding, that the conservatives don't care about um, the suburbs and they don't care about um, trying to win minority voters because they looked at the most winnable seat in Mississauga and said, actually, now nah, let's not try and win it in a by-election. Let's not really care about it. And let's not adjust our message when we got creamed in it, which is part of the weird thing about Polyev in general. They have this like very specific, they don't just want to beat Trudeau, but they also want to win without doing any of the, they don't want to have to make any of the compromises that you need to, to beat him. And the whole conservative theory of the case is that they're going to win because Justin Trudeau is going to end up being like a, a politician, a Brian Mulroney-esque politician who has a 9% approval rating on his way out. And I think Paul Wells had a, had a bit uh, at the end of his first book about Stephen Harper that the list of politicians who had underestimated Stephen Harper was long and growing. I feel like we're going to get to the same. I, th- I feel like we're at the same point with Justin Trudeau because the whole conservative belief is that oh no, he's just he's deeply unpopular. He's he's you know he's done for. You know the end is nigh. Well, what if it's not? <laughs> what if like that 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 might be a sop to your soul to believe it, but you just nearly lost Oxford. You went backwards in Winnipeg. Um, you, you went backwards and Mississauga Lakeshore. Like, at some point, conservatives have to reckon with the idea that maybe Justin Trudeau is not as popular as they, not as unpopular as they've convinced themselves themselves that he is, and they have no interest in doing that, and they have no interest, therefore, in making any of the compromises that it would take to win, which is to say, you know, sort of actually going on camera to say to support gay rights or doing any sort of, you know, meaningful ethnic outreach to the 905. Um, you know, it's just this sort of like, I want to win the way I want to win. And I'm just going to repeat the same, but uh, you know, but all slogan that no one really understands 42 times. Like they want to win, but they want to win their way. Just for the sake of clarity, Evan, uh, cause I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people crane their necks uh, just as I did. Did, did you say the conservatives don't care about winning in Canada's suburbs? Did you say that? Yeah, they 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 can say whatever they want about wanting to, wanting to win suburban seats, but their revealed preferences and their revealed actions are that they don't care. They didn't contest a, a by election in a seat that the Liberals only won in twenty twenty one by six points. They have a policy agenda that is completely suburban. It's not even like suburban apathetic. It's literally repellent to suburban voters. They refuse to ever go on the record and say that they support the um, child care plan, which is, which I support as a policy, but in, in, in political terms is essentially just a massive subsidy to, uh, you know, working class and middle class suburbanites because of how expensive daycare in especially the nine to five had gotten and Vancouver, greater Vancouver too. They can say they want to win the service all they want. They're not trying to. They're not putting a policy agenda out there. They're not sending Polyev to these places. The weekend before a suburban by-election, they sent Pierre Polyev to Atlantic Canada to to talk about gun rights. I, 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 I'm sorry. You could have won Mississauga 
but you send Polyev to go talk about guns the weekend before a by-election? Are you trying to lose, or are you just really bad at this? Because take your pick. Well, if, if it's any wonder why uh, Trudeau looks very confident and uh, Trudeau very, very uh, much uh, intends to fight the next election, is it possible there's a link here? Is it possible that someone has told Trudeau the same thing you've just told us, Evan, that the Conservatives aren't really doing and aren't willing to do what it takes to win in the suburbs? Because if, if that's the message Trudeau's getting, uh, I'm not saying that he'll be complacent about the next election, but certainly he knows he'll be extremely competitive. I mean, yeah, like I, I, you know, I, I know I, I, I have a, I have, you know, decent connections to the, to the PMO and to liberal staffers these days. And like, whenever I talk to them, there's not panic, right? Like when you, when a government's falling apart and I was a, a university student and a member of the U Ottawa young liberals in 2016, 2017. So like dying days of Kathleen Wynne, right? I lived through that government dying in, in and around a bunch of Ontario liberals. I know what a dying government looks like. The federal liberals aren't acting like it. Federal liberals aren't acting like a government that's just, you know, waiting out the clock and praying for some miracle. They think they can win. They think they're going to win. And part of the reason they think they're going to win is because Polyev is making he's doing like good opposition work if the only thing you care about is having a good clip for you know 505 when uh power politics and power play go on right but in trying to win the day every day what they're actually doing is making their lives much harder in the long term because they're making tactically correct but strategically stupid choices right Criticizing the dental plan, which Polyev did uh, when right after it was announced at the budget, like yeah, that's fine. That's a good. That's a, it's a it's a good clip for for the day, right? You know, the liberals are spending too much money. You know, they need to rein in their spending. Uh, just inflation, whatever. Okay, cool. The next election is going to be fought. You know, some time from now, interest rates are going to we're going to be done with the interest rate rises. Inflation is going to have a two or a one in front of it by that point. And the economy is going to be, you know, coming up. So all of this political capital that you've built up around this idea that, you know, just inflation and, you know, they spent too much money, even if even parking the like legitimacy of that argument, um, it's not going to be an effective argument by the time you get to the next election, because the liberals, by, by doing the deal with the NDP, control the next election timing. And obviously, they're going to go to the next election at a time of their choosing, which is to say when the economy is better. But Polyev is so focused on winning the day. He's so focused on winning Twitter. He's so focused on winning the five o'clock political shows that that they're making the wrong decision. They're playing politics instead of building a policy. And... They can say they want to win the suburbs all they want. They're not acting like it. And if you're not, if you're not going to win a single seat in Brampton, you're not going to win a single seat in Mississauga, you know, then you have to run the table everywhere else. You have to straight up run the table through everything. You have to knock off long-term incumbents everywhere. And the thing is, as anyone who's ever played poker, like you might have the hand, but you might you might be a 70-30 favorite or an 80-20 favorite to win any poker hand individually, 
you're not going to win 12 of those. Even if you're, even if you're supposed to, you're going to lose something. Somebody's going to get a card on the river. Some incumbent's going to hold on. And the problem is Polyev's only out is Polyev's only out is to win a bunch of seats that no conservatives ever won or to like break through in Quebec, but his polls in Quebec are terrible. They have seen, they've looked at him and gone, nope, I have no interest in that. And the liberals fundamentally, like, you know, you're, you know, you're from Quebec, you know it pretty well. I, both my parents are from, from, from the province and, you know, I, you know, I pay enough attention to it. The thing is, Quebec can swing pretty wildly at any given time. And if in two years, you know, Francois Legault is a little bit more unpopular and, you know, the sort of idea of the bloc as the defenders of Legault and the defenders of Quebec against Ottawa is a little less salient. Would anybody be surprised if the bloc fell back a little bit and the Liberals won another six, eight seats? The reason the Conservatives uh, go nowhere in, in Quebec is because of the Bloc Québécois. And when the Bloc Québécois was formed, uh, that was the message to Brian Mulroney, the head uh, for the fire exit. Uh, so the Bloc Québécois blocks uh, movement in Quebec. If 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 Polyev doesn't care about the suburbs of Toronto because he thinks that he can uh, compensate uh, by getting uh, Quebec uh, that's that's a really, really uh, bad bet. Evan Scrimshaw, I just want to let people know that you're all over Twitter. You've got a tremendous substack, which I read every week assiduously. And uh, you've also got a, a, a website and a podcast. Uh, I hope you'll agree to come back because I really loved having you. And uh, I learn from you all the time. And I learned from you a little more uh, tonight. This is the first time that I've actually, I've actually imbibed uh, the fact that the conservatives don't care to do what it takes to win the suburbs. That's a significant piece of news commentary. Evan, thank you so much for this. Uh, glad to do this, and uh, we'll come on as often as you want to ask me. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.